Coming up on today's show, it's a matter of life and death for Alberta businesses that are having trouble transitioning to an online presence. Well, the province has come up with a great program that has students helping them out. We'll tell you all about that. Wolverines losing out to coyotes. We'll talk about that. And what is the most iconic Alberta song? Right now, though, we're going to switch things up a little bit and talk about uh, an interesting program taking place in our province. Now, the pandemic, as we know, uh, really changed the way that businesses operate, forced them to. They had to. In a lot of sectors, it's meant, you know, you develop an online presence or you die. Pure and simple. That's how things are being done. Now, not every small business has that kind of presence, right? Or the knowledge about how to create an online presence like that. Tech is a real black hole for a lot of us. Like, if I was a small business owner, how do I develop an app? And I have no idea, no clue whatsoever. Um, so the provincial government has come up with about a million dollars to fill that hole in a very cool way uh, involving the University of Alberta. And to tell us all about it now, we have Heather Thompson with us, who is the executive director of the U of A's Center for Cities and Communities and leader of the Digital Economy Program. Heather, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Hello, good morning. So just tell us what this program is. Basically, you're partnering small businesses with with students that can help them in what has become so important, right? That's right, yeah. So the the partnership really, in in the end goal, is to be with the student and the business. So the student is there to support the business and get them up and running in some sort of digital capacity, whether it's a website, social media, digital marketing, whatever they need to start that digital journey. Because we have seen, like you said, with the pandemic, it is so important that these businesses have some sort of digital presence or they probably will not survive. And so the provincial government has put together this digital economy program and it's with Digital Main Street and uh, Business Link. And here at the, in the capital region, including the city of Edmonton, we are the service squad provider for the capital region businesses. So we're hoping to work with about 2,800 businesses over the next 15 months um, to help them create some sort of digital platform. And, and, and the uptake on this, I mean, it's only been around for, what, a week, two weeks? And, and already you've got a couple hundred businesses that have jumped in, right? That's right, yeah. It's been about eight days. Yeah, eight days. And we have a couple a couple hundred businesses that have signed up. So it's been really great to see. And I think it just that's just evidence of how needed this program is. And I really want to make sure that the businesses, the business community is hearing this message loud and clear that this is a free program that is funded by the government. So when we're talking about how we're going to be supporting small businesses, uh, this is it. This is the sort of program that the government has been referring to since the pandemic had started. Um, and it, it's genius, really. I mean, you've got these students uh, who are equipped with all kinds of skills that would be perfect for this. Plus, um, you know, it gives them some real world business experience, right? That's right. And I think that's the really fun part about this is that the students are, you know, they have a great academic career. They're really excited and they're passionate about this world. They also seem to have this innate sense of this digital savvy that I think the business community really needs right now. So it's been a really fun partnership. And if you ask the students, they're, you know, they're learning a lot. They're also learning um, not just the digital skills, but they're learning what it's like to work in this business community and learning the various facets of the different businesses. So whether you're a restaurant, whether you have a traditional retail, you're a grocery store, you're a dentist office, it doesn't matter what kind of business you have, the students can help you. And you're not looking to create permanent employment spaces for these students. This is sort of in and out, get things started, get things going, and actually do a little education, right? That's 100% it. We're hoping that because this program is meant to scale, we are hoping that we will help that business 
to provide a little bit of that confidence in starting that digital journey because it doesn't really end. You know, even if you have a website, you have to constantly be updating it. You have to continue with your digital marketing. And what we're hoping to do is make sure, and it's, I love that you use the term the black hole, uh, and it is, it can be very overwhelming oh, yeah. and very scary for businesses. And we want to show them that it is not as expensive or as difficult as what we maybe thought it was, especially because over the pandemic, there have been so many, there's been so many advances to help businesses create this, this space so they can actually almost go and compete with Amazon in terms of frictionless checkouts and fast shipping. And it's very affordable, way more affordable now than it ever was two years ago. So we want to help and educate them so that way they can feel confident and continue that journey themselves. You know, and Heather, you kind of touched on it earlier, but I imagine for some of these businesses that, you know, get in touch with you, it must feel like somebody's thrown them a lifeline, right? Because they're they're not accessing this and that's where everything seems to be moving, especially in some industries. That's where everything has gone and they've sort of not been part of that. Now, all of a sudden, this whole new world has opened up to them. It must feel literally like someone's thrown them a life preserver. I hope so. I hope that they're excited about it and I hope they see all the potential and I I think the cool thing, and especially if you look at the platform of Digital Main Street, it, it started because they noticed so many businesses were leaving physical brick-and-mortar spaces and main streets, essentially. And those the businesses that were actually closing down and leaving the physical uh, brick-and-mortar retail world were the ones that didn't have a digital presence. So yeah. this isn't about moving businesses solely online. This is about allowing businesses to have more access points to customers so they're more profitable. So our main streets, our malls, our shopping districts have a more bustling atmosphere because these businesses are so profitable. So for businesses that want to get into this, is there a cost? Um, How much time does it take? What do they need to do? So there's definitely, it's no financial cost. Um, the, The... Time very depends on what each business is looking for. Right. Um, you know, on average, it could be somewhere to five to eight hours. Some businesses a bit more, some businesses a bit less. Um, and it's really simple. So in the, if you're in the capital region, um, you would just go to your, Y-O-U-R-D-E-P dot C-A. Um, and if you are in the Calgary region, you can go to calgary.ca slash business. Um, and if you're in the other uh, communities within the province, you can go to dep.businesslink.ca and you just sign up for the program. From there, one of the digital service team members will be in touch with you. And then they'll create an assessment and a bit of a game plan. And then the, they'll execute that game plan and get you on that digital journey. What an awesome idea. How long does this program last? Till the money's gone? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So our, our hard stop is actually going to be March 31st, 2023. Okay. Um, and so the program is meant to, to go through. There are spaces that are limited. Um, so it is in a way first come, first serve, but we do have quite a few spaces. So that being said, I would, I would encourage businesses to sign up um, as soon as possible. But really, we're, we're going to be there to support them over the next year. Excellent idea. Be interested to follow up with you and see how it's going, Heather. Thanks so much. Lovely. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. That's Heather Thomas. Heather is the executive director of the U of A Center for Cities and Communities and leader of the Digital Economy Program. We're going to have an interesting discussion here. Who would win in a fight, Wolverine or a coyote? Wolverine, right? No brainer, I think, if it's a fair fight. But here in Alberta, it's not a fair fight, not in some places anyway. What we humans have done to the habitat is actually giving coyotes a leg up on wolverines. 
believe it or not. We'll find out why. Find out what's going on. We're going to chat now with Jillian Chow-Fraser from University of Victoria and the lead author of this paper published in the journal Biological Conservation. Jillian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, your research. Um, give us the parameters here. How did you go about conducting what was going on with the wolverine population in Alberta? Well, first of all, we wanted to do some research looking at landscape change in the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains, and in particular how the industrial development there was affecting the whole entire mammal community, uh, and especially the species at risk there. So like wolverines, you know, they're super charismatic carnivores. They're actually the largest weasel in the weasel family. Um, And they're also a species at risk, so they're in decline they used to be found all over the province, and now they're they have really contracted their ranges to basically the the foothills and the Rockies, and then the northern boreal parts of the province. Uh, so we, you know, we had a research team went out and put these motion triggered cameras uh, all throughout the Rockies. So there were hundreds put out in Kananaskis country, so that really highly developed area. Lots of industrial disturbance, lots of recreational uses, roads, trails, uh, oil and gas exploration. And then uh, many of the cameras also went in the Wilmore Wilderness area. So one of the most highly protected parts right. of the province. So really contrasting areas with like no development versus other ones that are seeing some development, right? And that was the whole focus. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And what you see is, you know, there's uh, a lot of wolverines in the Wilmore. They're doing uh, pretty well there with with that really limited disturbance. And then this kind of other story in in uh, the eastern slopes where that that development is really tipping the the odds out of favor for wolverine and. What we found was it was actually these linear features, so things like roads and seismic lines uh, that were actually bringing coyotes kind of deeper into this wolverine habitat uh, and increasing that competition there between the two, these really numerically abundant coyotes in these places. And what you're what you're seeing is wolverines actually not occupying those places anymore. So, uh, you know, contributing to those range contractions. So it's not necessarily that there's humans there. I mean, that's why the, this mm-hmm. infrastructure is put in, but it's the infrastructure itself. It's the way the habitat has changed, hey? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it, it's, it's completely changing um, how that habitat is being used, how it's being accessed. Uh, it's something that we see in canid species a lot, actually. So wolves also really smart, uh, know how to use seismic lines to uh, get into places that they usually couldn't because it's a really, it's an, it's a, this clearing that they go on for kilometers, straight yeah. lines, really fast to run down and get farther. And we're kind of seeing this interaction with coyotes as well, where they're just exploiting those resources really well and getting in there. And it's just not, it's not worth it for the, for the wolverines to be there competing as well. I mean, that's sort of the story of the coyote, right? I mean, they will yeah. exploit any sort of, I don't even know how to put it, but that's what they're opportunistic is all get out, right? Oh, exactly. Wily coyotes, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> and even in, uh, you know, urban areas, rural areas, we're seeing lots of coyotes coming in. They're super adaptable. They're they're totally a species built for these Rap, the ways humans are rapidly yeah. changing the landscape. So it's totally to their benefit. And then unfortunately, we're seeing, um, yeah, these really stark uh, 
consequences for species at risk like wolverine. So what does it mean for the wolverines? I mean, do they just move, try and find a different area? Do their numbers plunge? I mean, I, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. I, was, I was talking about this earlier today. If you had told me that wolverines live in Alberta, I would have said, okay, but I wouldn't have been 100% sure. I mean, you don't <laughs> see them. They're not like the most commonplace animals. So what is the situation with them right now? Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I think most people probably have not seen a wolverine out in the wild. It's a really uh, lucky experience if you get to see them in the backcountry. They're pretty elusive. They're naturally not not in those high densities. They have really big home ranges, so they, they need a lot of space to survive big territories that they patrol. Um, so, but because they need those really big spaces those rain contractions never a good thing it means it can't sustain as high as a population we are seeing those declines in wolverine in alberta as well so you know we are having those negative consequences for them and so it means that if we want to see some recovery for wolverine some conservation of that species we're going to have to start thinking differently about how we develop on these landscapes Um, You may even, I think it would be really great if we could start restoring a lot of these linear features. So replanting them, making them grow back. A lot of them aren't growing back on their own. Uh, And then also thinking to the future, trying to reduce that footprint so we can really have these wolverine uh, persist in this area. What about other, you know, large carnivores or predators, you know, aside from wolverines, what about like bears and wolves? Do, Do you know if it has a similar impact on them? Or do they adapt a little more, a little more easily? Yeah, we also looked in this analysis. We included other animals as well, so we didn't go in thinking uh, that coyotes would come out as this as this really big driver. Actually, I kind of the you know was sitting in my chair running these models, and my jaw kind of dropped when I was like coyotes, what? <laughs> uh, because we included for sure wolves, uh, lynx, cougars, foxes. Uh, kind of other different kinds of interactions that we thought might be something that's important to a wolverine. Uh, And yeah, it it just came out that this competition was definitely the driving factor for them, for for wolverines at least. And I think that makes sense. They're a mesocarnivore. They're kind of that where they are in the um, food chain is kind of that middle section. They're super tenacious and fierce, but they are still scavengers, you know, especially in the winter. So it means those food supplies become really, really important to them. How widespread are they in the province? Like, do you have to go to a certain place or are they pretty much everywhere? They used to be everywhere. Um, they now are kind of in the, the eastern slopes, those foothills, yeah. for sure, Wilmore, and then pretty much far north, Boreal as well. Okay. Yeah. Interesting stuff, Julian. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Jillian Chow-Fraser, the researcher who took a look at um, what's going on. Kind of interesting and not surprising, you know, when she describes it to you. And like Fred sent a text saying, coyotes fill every habitat type from wilderness to city. Wolverines instead are a habitat-specific species with certain requirements. Wolverines don't hang with people. You're absolutely right. You take a look at what's going on um, and... uh, it's interesting to see because coyotes will, where don't they manage to adapt and, you know, flourish? City, fine, no problem. And the number of coyotes in the city now compared to even just, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it's night and day. They're, you see them all the time now and they've completely adapted to the urban environment. No problem at all.
has slowed them down a bit. So yeah, they're far more adaptable. Interesting studies. So we're talking about Alberta's best song. Now, I, I don't even know how we define exactly what the category is here, but I know who does know. Paula Simons, who is uh, an independent senator from the province of Alberta, former journalist, and she's the one who's decided to jump into this pool this weekend. Uh, Paula, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning. Well, I am delighted to be here. It's, it's nice to talk about something a little more upbeat than some of our last conversations. So. I, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be so much fun. Um, yesterday, or last weekend, I guess, was the BC Song Contest. That was the inspiration for this, right? Yes, you know, because uh, I follow Justin McElroy. I mean, I follow two Justin McElroys, the, you know, the one from my brother, my brother and me. But this Justin McElroy is a CBC reporter from Vancouver, and he... He has a funny kind of beat. So he's, you know, he's covering COVID. He's doing really important COVID journalism. But I think it's kind of an emotional relief for himself. He decided to do this bracket to choose the most iconic BC song. And I laughed because he included people like Tegan and Sarah and Loverboy. And at one point, he was trying to claim Ian Tyson was Albertan. And I was like, no, 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 young man. These people are Albertans. And I said to my daughter, you know, I have half a mind to do an Alberta one like this myself. And then I thought, why not? With the other half of my mind, I thought, yes, it will be fun. And after the January we've had, we we need a little relief. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to be uh, just a ton of fun. But how do you, I mean, you're right. I was taking a look at that and I was like, Great Big C versus Carly Rae Jepsen in the final. Okay, she's from BC, but how did you define what puts it into the running for iconic Alberta song? Well, I decided that, you know, I mean, obviously it ought to be somebody who's from Alberta, you would think. Sure. But then, you know, what do you do with a song like Alberta Bound by Gordon Lightfoot, which is clearly an iconic Alberta sound. Just my song. Or, what, you know, what do you do by, you know, music, somebody like Katie Lang or Cadence Weapon, who are iconic Alberta songwriters who have who have moved away. Or, you know, a, a Terry Clark or a, sure. a Nickelback who's made their career elsewhere. Um, so I have been pretty eclectically generous in how I've defined things so that, you know, what I'm looking for is kind of the iconic song that says Alberta to you. And if that was written by, you know, the rural Alberta advantage who are in Toronto, or if it's a song by SNFU, then, uh, then it counts. So the song just has to be redolent of Albertaness. Fair enough. Okay, I like that. So pretty generous. Um, how many songs are we starting with? Well, you know, I, I looked at Justin McElroy's thing, and he started with 44, and I thought, that, but that doesn't divide even no, me into 64. things. So I, so I thought, okay, I'm going to use 32 songs okay. so that we'll go 32, 16. And then I had a couple left over, so I'm going to have, I think, 34 songs. There's like 32 and then a bonus, a, a bonus added feature. When does uh, when does the polling start? This afternoon? It's going to start this afternoon. You know, there were some people who were a bit um, crotchety, that's a good word for it, on Twitter about, you know, you're a senator, don't you have like a real important job that we're paying you for? And I, I, I do want to say that, I, 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 you know, the Senate is not sitting in January, but I am doing important Senate work. I had a meeting this morning uh, with some of my Senate colleagues, with the Minister of Transportation, to talk about Canada's supply chain crisis. I have a meeting this afternoon to talk about passenger rail. Paul, you don't uh, have to explain yourself. In Western Canada. So I thought, okay, fine. I will do this after hours. 
So, you know, I, I think, you know, sort of four or five o'clock today, it depends how long it takes me to put all the little tweets up in a row. Um, we, we will launch it and then it will go, you know, I, I might do it for 28 hours rather than 24 hours okay. so that people have a chance to vote. And then once we're down to the sweet 16, then, you know, Sunday I'll, I'll put out the, the, the 16 and then we'll, we'll go through the week. But I will attempt to make it clear that I am a serious and important person doing important public policy work and also this. <laughs> um, who are you polling for? What song do you think is the most iconic Alberta song? I believe it best befits my role as a senator and the, um, you know, the moderator of this competition <laughs> that I not put my thumb on the scale. I mean, I can tell you... Just between that, me and you. Um, I can tell you that lots and lots and lots of people... Uh, are clearly pulling for four strong wins. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, it, you know, to the extent that I'm seeding these, I think Ian Tyson is clearly the top seed. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I've really tried to assemble a group of songs that reflect a bunch of different genres, you know, sort of, you know, country country folk, obviously, but also, you know, um, a, a great range from, you know, from punk to classic rock to rap to folk to you know techno i mean i i you know i've I've put my thumb on the scale a little (laughs) bit in choosing the songs yeah but i've really you know and i've tried to make them you know to put in some some things that will make people laugh um i i don't want to give them all away but i suspect when people when people see them some of them they will go oh yes no i've forgotten about that that's a perfect pick and others they'll go what? Why is what? this Why? on the list? Why? Uh... <laughs> Paula, I can't wait. I will be there this afternoon. Um, your Twitter handle is politics, P-A-U-L-A-T-I-C-S. That simple. Get in and have some fun this afternoon. I can't wait, Paula. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Take care, Shay. You bet. That is Paula Simon, who is a senator and also the curator of most iconic Alberta song Twitter poll, which will kick off this afternoon at politics, P-A-U-L-A-T-I-C-S. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.